Well, welcome to the fourth video in a row. Some of y'all are like, are we becoming a, a video church? I thought I would just take a few minutes and explain what we're doing and why we've done it four weeks in a row and uh, give you a little bit of peace about that. Some of you guys were with us last fall and we decided that uh, we were going to operate like a family of churches, uh, really one church with all these different personalities. Now we're up to six, six different personalities in the bunch. Um, and then uh, we got into the new year and it was kind of working like a charm the way we were uh, we kind of have a, a central voice and then, and then a local voice and we tag team and then COVID hit so in 2020 we've, we're on our 40th Sunday of the year we had 10 normal Sundays and it was going great right at least according to our plan and on March 15th all of us found ourselves sitting in our home and we did church together online for nine Sundays in a row and now, for 21 Sundays, we have been meeting in person, which has been great. So 17 of those in-person Sundays were all live, and we figured out a way to move guys around and uh, have live teaching in every spot. We did it all outside, and it worked uh, really, really amazing. And compliments to our, our guys who stepped up and to you, part of the body who has stepped up, and, and we've just innovated and, and made it work. And, and then we decided to take these four, um, these four Sundays to kind of get us all back on the same page and uh, just work on some of our family language. This will get us back to the normal, the normal that we were in in January and February, and, and then from here out, uh, we'll kind of get back to who we were back then. But thank you. Thank you for how you flexed. Man, it'd be a good time to slap your campus pastor on the back and give him a, a little applaud because he, he, he has worked hard at your spot. Uh, it's been really cool to see, man, this decision that we made last fall to do this video stuff, which actually prepared us well for all the online stuff that we've had to do. And then it's also been cool that guys have developed in their ability to communicate so they were able to step up and really meet the bell. And so we're going to continue to do that. We got 12 Sundays left in the year, and we're back to normal, kind of normal, right? Still COVID, so a lot of you wearing a mask, and, and that's, that's where we are. Uh, man, I just want to remind you why we do it this way, why we have this rotation. Uh, we really believe at Radius in plurality. So we, we're led by elders. We have a group of elders and we've just named shepherding elders, and we'll talk more about that. But we believe in having a group of leaders, not just one leader, not just one personality publicly. We really like having multiple teachers. In most spots, that's two teachers. In a couple spots, we have three teachers that work in from stage over the course of a year, over 52 Sundays. We split that up. We like that because you get a variety of ages. You get a, a variety of experiences because of age and lifestyle and what, what's going on. We get uh, some different ethnicities, right? We get this variety of gifts, spiritual gifts, because us as preachers, we deliver a little differently. We like all that. We think that's really healthy for the body, which is why we do this some, like do this via video some. We also primarily do live. So no, we're not a video church, but yes, we did it four Sundays in a row, and this is the last one uh, for a while because uh, we're just trying to catch up. Other thing that's happened is our campus pastors, I don't know if you know this, but we really ask them to lead more than preach. And so they've got a job, both to shepherd, right, to care for the flock, 
And right now we're moving folks back in buildings and we're getting children. It gives them the opportunity to really focus on that care and leadership in a shepherding kind of way. And we also expect them to cut. So we expect them to cut into community like football teams and feeding teachers and, and all the things that we do as a church. Those guys lead for us. And man, we have a great team of guys who know how to cut and we're going to continue to cut. So this gives them a little time to get that going on. Um, that's, that's what we're doing, right? Here's what's interesting. Uh, we decided to do this last fall because we, we really felt responsible in the Midlands to, before God, as elders, to put Radius in a position to make as many disciples as possible. We wanted to get the good news out about Jesus to as many people as we possibly can in a lifetime. And uh, so, so we kind of began to run this thing. But, but here's the deal. It's not just about how many people hear about Jesus. It's also about the quality of listeners, right? It's, it's not just about the quantity of listeners, the number of people we can get in all of our rooms uh, across the Midlands. It's also about the quality. And I, I just want to take a little time today and from the book of Mark, uh, talk to you about what it looks like to be a quality listener. What, what does that even mean, right? You're going to get to see three different characters, three different stories, one about a leper, uh, one about a paralytic, and one about a tax collector. And all three of these guys are, they're really great listeners, and, and you will see. And hopefully by the end of this message, you will be moved to be like them. I want to remind you, the book of Mark is a narrative, so it's the gospel according to Mark, and it's the stories of Jesus' life all the way to his death, burial, and resurrection, and he, he puts all that into 16 chapters. And if you remember how the Bible works, there's Matthew does the same thing, Mark, Luke, and John, four books of the Bible that are, are dedicated to telling you the stories about Jesus. Sometimes in our society, we want one, two, threes. Tell me the three things I can do this week to get better. How do I get better? Oftentimes, we're much more efficiently trained by hearing stories. We, like, right, we uh, sit at the dinner table and we listen to our, our father tell stories, and we're trained by those stories. The things that are, that are held up in our family, those are the things that we kind of become. You can hear your older sister telling a story, older brother telling a story, and these stories make up the culture of the family. And truly, I, I just want to remind you that this huge percentage of the New Testament that is given to us uh, since Jesus are, are simply the stories of Jesus. So as I read you these stories, it's easy to think, man, this is just for children. I need, it seems, feels like it ought to be animated. It, it ought to be a children's story. Yes, a child can understand these stories and can be formed by them. And yes, you should be sharing these stories with your children, right? They have these great little storybooks of the New Testament. You ought to grab one and read it every night to your young kids. You want these embedded in their mind because it forms them. If you're a new believer, man, this is the greatest. You get to watch how Jesus, the Son of God, walked this earth and teaches us how to. We picked the story up from last week after Jesus has begun to preach. He's begun to preach about God's kingdom and the good news that's coming, right? He tells folks to repent and believe. Repent and believe. We see that over and over and over. 
And here we pick it up. He's been preaching. The crowds are coming out of everywhere because remember last week, he spoke with this great authority because he was the one who actually was there when Malachi and Isaiah was written. He was there, so he spoke about it with amazing authority. He's also doing miracles. He's casting out demons, which is kind of crazy in our culture to even imagine. He's healing folks that have been sick for a lifetime, and crowds are just gathering around him. He's in a town called Capernaum, we think, because uh, Peter's uh, mother-in-law's just been healed, and he's at, at their home, we think, uh, based on the passage. And he goes out early in the morning to pray, and nobody can find him, and everybody wants to know where he is because everything's happening around Jesus. Simon, whose name's going to eventually be uh, changed to Peter, uh, goes out to find him, and he meets Jesus, and he says, Hey, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. Verse 38 of chapter 1, Jesus replied, We must go on to other towns as well. I will preach to them too. That is why I came. I just kept thinking about that last line. That is why I came. So Jesus is out praying. He's been praying early in the morning before the sun even comes up. Peter finds him. He says, all those people want you. All those people that you've been preaching to, they want you. And Jesus goes, I got more to tell. I got got these people to go tell. We got to go to the town over there and the town over there and the town over there because they haven't heard yet. So, I mean, the church has really been carrying this out. And I hope, man, if you didn't grow up in a church like this, I hope that you enjoy this about Radius. There are many more that need to hear, and we always have our eyes up, and we're looking for them. At a head up, we're looking for them. That's why we named it Radius. We want those folks that haven't heard before. But we're particularly looking for folks that when they hear, they respond in a quality kind of way, Right? We're, we're cutting into our, our area and our region, the Midlands, and we want to find somebody who responds to the good news about Jesus. He says, that's why I came. I want everybody to hear. And then you'll see Mark, he'll unpack it with these three quick stories that I'll read to you, guys who heard and responded. I'm not sure how this leprous man, I don't know if you know about the disease of leprosy, horrible disease, eats away at your skin, causes boils. It has a variety of, of, of how bad it can get. It can literally make your fingers fall off, your nose fall off. It can get incredibly gross, and obviously it leads to death. Pretty interesting in the middle of COVID where, where we're fighting a disease we don't fully understand. This one is very visible. You can see it on people. It's contagious, so folks would stay away. This leprous man finds Jesus while Jesus is out telling other towns, right? And this individual man among those great crowds that are beginning to hear about him again finds Jesus and says that he uh, begged Jesus to heal him. And he says this to Jesus. I love the way he says this. I want you to listen to this. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. (laughs) I, I just love in our society right now where I'm owed everything and I got a right to everything. I've got a right to medicine. I got a right to all this stuff. This guy's just got zero entitlement. He seems to fully understand that Jesus is the only answer. And he says, if you are willing, watch Jesus' response. Moved with compassion. Man, what a great lesson. Just that simple phrase for you and me as believers. When are you moved with compassion? 
It seems like our culture is constantly outraged and rarely moved with compassion. We're always outraged about something. He's moved with compassion. And Jesus reaches out and he touched him. If you're a leper, you haven't been touched in a long time because nobody wants to get what you got. Jesus does. Jesus reaches out. I just imagine man to man, he puts his hand on the man's shoulder and he says, I, uh, he says, I'm willing. Uh, and, and I love this. And he says, be healed. So it's just Mark just brings it down into two really simple statements. I'm willing. Be healed. So there's this, he breaks all the rules and he touches the man. I, I need to just remind you right now, man, if you're sitting there and you go, you don't know who I am, you don't know what I'm addicted to, you don't know, man, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, Jesus will reach right to your seat, put his hand on your shoulder, even wrap his arm around you and say, hey, I'm willing. Be healed if you believe. Instantly, the passage says, the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. And then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Check this out. Don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Uh, Take along an offering required by the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. I don't know if you pick up on it, but so obviously this guy's deepest need is to get rid of this disease. I wonder if he'd lost a finger when Jesus healed the le- leprosy, the finger reappeared. I don't know. We don't know. We don't he- see all the details, but he's clearly healed. Jesus heals him, and then Jesus does him a, a step further. He gets to an even deeper need. This leprosy is separated from his, him from his family. He's like, hey, go through the process, go to the temple, go speak to the priest, and be restored back into community. So with your clean skin and your body free of sickness, you can go home and hug your mama. You can go hold your child again. You can enjoy some of the deepest, best parts of life. He, he heals a need. He takes care of the apparent need, and then he points him to his deeper need. It's beautiful. Here's what's pretty cool, though. You talk about a quality listener. But the man went went and spread the word. He's supposed to go get reinstalled in society. Instead, you can imagine him running down the street, clean, getting in front of anybody he possibly can, perhaps some of the lepers he used to run with, some of the folks that have leprosy. We don't know, but he's proclaiming to everyone what had happened. As a result, large crowds soon surround him. He couldn't publicly enter the town anymore. This dude made so much noise that Jesus couldn't go back out in public. Everybody heard the good news about what Jesus had done for this leprous man. Let me go ahead and tell you, quality listeners, man, they are healed all the way to their soul. And they cannot keep their mouth shut about Jesus. I'm a Clemson fan. Forgive me again. Some of y'all know this. We got this saying. It's kind of funny. My blood runneth orange, right? Like it's the King James Version. Like my my blood has been changed to orange because I'm a Clemson fan. And you know some Clemson fans that are so annoying. It literally seems like their blood runs orange and they are enjoying it while it lasts. And and they are yapping nonstop about the Tigers. And it's a football team, right? Like it's just this tiny part of our lives. But when Jesus redeems a man 
or a woman or a child. And he changes us with his blood. Then, then our mouths have got to produce the noise that goes with that transformation so that the whole world can hear. And this guy cannot stay silent. He's got to tell everybody what Jesus did. So much so that everybody wants to hear. Let me just tell you, we, we're already dreaming about a seventh radius spot. We got a couple in our minds where, where we might plant another campus. But we need you and we need me to get to the point where our mouths are opened about Jesus. Check out this next story. Jesus returned to Capernaum. Again, remember, that's where Peter was. And then he pointed out, I'm going to go to those other towns. So Jesus has come back to Capernaum several days later. And the news spread quickly that he was back home. As Soon the house where he was staying, probably Peter's house, was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. So you can just imagine people all in the house. You ever had your house just so full you can smell the people next to you, right? So they're jammed in the house. And then people outside the windows and door, these aren't large houses, they're just packed up just perhaps that they could get their ear on something Jesus said. They wanted to hear that authority, or they wanted to be the first to hear about a miracle done in there. I wonder if Sammy's going to get healed. And Sammy's in there, and the word spreads back out, and there's celebration out in the street. It's just like a party at a house because Jesus is present. But there's no room for anybody else. And then there's these, these four nondescript men that show up on the scene. It'd be fun to meet them in heaven someday. Four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. So you can imagine each having a corner, and somehow they've stiffened the mat, and they're carrying him, and they come to this crowded house, and they've got to come up with a way to get him to Jesus. They can't get through the crowd. So one of them, I imagine the MacGyverish one of them, who cannot be denied, maybe the oldest one, who just stubborn as he could be, the four men carried him, and then it says, verse 4, they couldn't bring him into Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. How does this happen? Right? No, no sawzalls. They're not cutting through shingles. Most likely, there's in those days, houses, many of them would have steps onto a flat roof. The flat roof would be made of thatch, and they sometimes they'd have a little tile over the thatch, but they'd build these roofs. Um, you know, it'd have, it'd have cross beams to support the thatch, but they'd build them, and then oftentimes people go up there and hang out on the roof. So these guys, you can imagine them, all four of them carry their buddy, perhaps, the paralyzed guy. They lay him down on a few of the tiles, and then they remove some tiles, and then they start pulling back the thatch. I can just imagine being in the room with Jesus and looking up, and straw is falling out of the ceiling, and all of a sudden, one of these four guys just peeks down in, sticks his knucklehead down into the room, and just looks around to see where Jesus is, and Jesus making eye contact with him and just chuckling, right? And then here it comes, perhaps on fishing fishing rope for the nets. They've strung it together with this uh, mat, and they lower him right down in the middle of the crowd. And you know, the room's already crowded, so I imagine some are going out the door, and some are squeezing together. And here comes this paralyzed guy down on a mat right in front of Jesus and all the people surrounding. Had to be an awesome scene. Jesus probably just laughing. I love the verse 5 says, seeing their faith, looking at the four, Lowering the one, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, just, just remember, their faith. Man, so we at Radius, six, six churches right now, partnered in a family. And what kind of faith do we have? We willing to go get our friends and bring them to hear the good news 
about the kingdom of God, to meet the Jesus that we know? Are we willing to do the time to read this gospel over and over so that we know the story? So they don't necessarily have to ch- come to church. They come to our dinner table. You hear about that good news? Well, they've done all the work. They've dug the hole, and here he is on the floor, and Jesus has noticed their faith is beautiful. And he looks at the man on the floor, and he says this, my child, your sins are forgiven. How you like that? Like, like of all the things that you did, I can imagine the guy up in the room like, what did, he, what, did, what did he just say? Right, and the guy on the floor, like it, perhaps he's paralyzed all the way from the neck down. You imagine just pulling up his neck and going, what, 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 that's not what I expected you to say. Like we, we did all this work. We were expecting you to say something else. Jesus intentionally makes this public and state, statement in front of uh, religious people, poor people, all types of people. He wanted to proclaim right now that he's going to get to our deepest need, not just the need that we think needs to be addressed. Watch how the teachers of the law respond. Verse 6, but some of the teachers of the religious law were sitting there, thought to themselves, didn't say it out loud. What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins, and absolutely right. The problem is they're so self-righteous. They can't see Jesus at work, the Son of God, right in front of them. They're full of cynicism. They haven't seen God work. They're horrible listeners. They cannot hear the good news about Jesus, and they're going to miss out on the king. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, and he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? And so to prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man. He said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. You can imagine this was the greatest strut of all time. Paralyzed guy gets up off the mat. I don't know if he rolled it up. I'm not sure. He tucks it under his arm and struts out of the room. And you can just see the people partying. Don't want him to actually touch him because it scared him to death that this guy just got up off the ground. They've known him laying on the corner begging. Here he is. He's walking. He walks out of the room. Amazing. It's an amazing scene. But Jesus posed this crazy question, which is easier. Heal the man. I'll show you. I'll heal him. Be healed. And he's up. Or your sins are forgiven. I can tell you which one's easier to say. Way easier for me to say your sins are forgiven. I can't deliver, but I can say it. And maybe nobody would know because nothing's got to visibly happen. But to say be healed and the man get up. Now that seems really challenging. But I believe in this passage, Jesus intentionally is proclaiming that he's the forgiver of sins right in front of the Pharisees, right in front of the teachers of the law to make a little down payment, right, on the forgiveness that he's going to offer on the cross. And then by rising from the grave three days later. What I think he's saying to you and me today, and I want you to hear it, slow down and hear it. He's saying, hey, I want to meet your deepest need. Man, for some of the single folks right now, my deepest need might feel like it's a man or a woman, right? For some of our young couples, the deepest need you feel like you have right now is a child or maybe a 
grandchild, depending on who you are. For some of you, you've been sick. You've got friends sick. You've got some folk, friends with COVID, and you want them to be healed. That's your deepest need. You may need some dollars. You may just need a friend. You may have an addiction, and your biggest need is whatever that addiction is right now. You can't wait. You've got to have some weed or some meth or some alcohol. You got to have it, but you also know you have this really deeper need is to stop wanting it. You want to get rid of it. And Jesus is uh, proposing to this paralytic, to this guy who, uh, who knows how long he hasn't walked and been able to hug his children. Jesus is saying, I know that's a big need. That's real. But I want to deal with your deepest need. I want to get to the sin in your life. It it hurts me to watch the teachers of the law not get it and live in cynicism. Some of y'all have been in church your whole life. You're taking this in right now, and you just can't get over all the baggage of all those years in church. And it, it keeps you from hearing the good news about Jesus. It never really penetrates your heart. Your heart actually cries out like the teachers of the law do. That, that what is he saying? You, don't, you just don't get it. Man, I want you to be healed. I want you to experience what the paralytic has in this moment. Hey, at the end of the year, we always do this big fundraiser. We love it. It's called Give Hope. And... Uh, we raise a bunch of money. If you're new to us, you, you haven't. We, we give money to the schools and school give it to uh, folks in our, our community that are impoverished often or have a specific need or specific need of school. It's fun. It's really fun for radius. It's a bit of talk of the town at times, just like the stuff that we're doing for teachers right now. There's just stuff that we like to do. We love doing that at, at radius. We actually say that we like to live generously. But let me tell you something. As much chatter is there is out there about our generosity, man, that is just a low-level need in our community that we love to meet, but we're only doing it, one, because we have been taught by Jesus to love them, and then secondly, for the hopes of getting to their deepest need, which is the forgiveness of sins. Man, when you were forgiven, remember the freedom that came. We want that for others. Last story. I need to wrap it up. Jesus went to the lake shore again. And he taught crowds that were coming to him. And he walked along and he saw Levi, later to be uh, called Matthew. He's going to write the book of Matthew, son of Alphaeus, sitting as a, at the tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus says to him. So you imagine Matthew, Levi, I don't know what you think an accountant looks like, but probably an accountant type. In those days, the tax collectors, you may not love the IRS in our country, but in those days, the tax collectors were nasty. They, they would steal from people. They would, they would take bribes. They, they just worked money to their benefit and then passed along what they needed to to the government, the Roman government. And Jesus comes by this guy, Levi. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, he's probably not who you picture being at church with you, but Jesus did. Jesus said, follow me and be my disciple. And so Levi got up and followed him. I'm going to tell you, Radius, right now, there are folks in the Midlands that don't look like what you think a church person is supposed to look like. That if you ask them, if I ask them, they may respond. They may be ready in their hearts 
to respond to the good news. Something may have changed in the last week, or perhaps you're the first one with the right angle on them. And Jesus asked him to follow, and he does. And so later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. And then there's this parenthesis in NLT. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. There are many folks that didn't look right hanging out with Jesus. (laughs) Sometimes I think we're too clean. Anytime we look around a radius campus and everybody looks too clean, everybody looks just alike, then we're missing something. Because Jesus, when he established his voice here on this planet for the future good news in the kingdom of God, he did it with folks that were a mess. He called people that were a mess. He redeemed people that were a mess. He healed people that were sick. And he's still doing that today, and he's asking us to do that with him. Are you too clean? I mean, we want you to be righteous. We want you to be like Jesus. But are you too clean to be with somebody who's sick? Remember, you used to be sick. Check this out. But when the teachers of the religious law uh, who were Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and other sinners, they asked the disciples, why does he eat with such scum? I'm going to go ahead and tell you with the election going on, with the chaos going on, with the president having COVID. We got all these conversations going on. Almost here, believers looking across the aisle and calling other people scum. Sound like the self-righteous of the day of Jesus. Here's what Jesus said. He said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call those who think who, who, who think they I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. <laughs> Amazing line. Couldn't read it. Amazing line. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous. I'm not calling the ones that think they got it all together. I'm calling the ones who know they are sinners. So as you ask the question today. With the body of Christ sitting side by side in a room right now, right? We're the body. We're being Christ. You got to ask yourself, what kind of listener am I today? Man, do I know I've been sick and healed so that I could potentially represent Jesus to other sick folks in this room? Are you a quality listener? Are you like the Pharisees, full of cynicism because you've seen so much of life. And perhaps, man, there have been seasons when I've just gotten my eyes off of Jesus and all I can see is the bad. And my hope starts to wane. Perhaps today is a day where you repent of that and say you're sorry and turn and reposition yourself to represent the good news about Jesus to our community. That's Radius Church.